I never thought about how until I was here. Having got here, it suits me in, in many ways. It is a little on the, on the edge of things. I think even its natives would say that. A cut-price crowd, urban yet simple, dwelling where only salesmen and relations come. And across there, over the estuary of the Humber, is Yorkshire, and you can just see Hull, where Philip Larkin lives. It's a place of thunder, clouds, dark red brick Georgian streets where they survive, and steeples and domes. And beyond Hull was the North Sea. If anywhere's the end of England and the end of land, it's Hull and beyond Hull. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. Hello again. Thanks for pressing play on the third episode of How's It Been? Uh, A little series I'm doing where I'm chatting with some of Hull's artists and creatives about the last 12 months, how they've coped, and what their plans are for life after lockdown. It's been a year now. The first lockdown was announced by the Prime Minister at 8.30 on the 23rd of March last year. And life as we knew it came to a sudden stop. For some, it was the derailment of their big 2020 vision. For some, it was a silver lining of an opportunity to pause, reflect, and head off in a direction they might never have taken had things just kept rolling as usual. Creative people generally need other people in order to function. Audiences to see their work, collaborators to make it with. But there's a subtler need too. We get ideas and inspiration from everyday interactions with fellow human beings. An overheard conversation in a shop. A strange or beautiful moment observed on an ordinary day. A few alcohol or caffeine fueled hours spent with mates when funny things happen or mad schemes are born. Some end up in novels or stand-up routines, dance pieces or movies. Of course, not everyone needs social stimulus and great works born of solitude will emerge from this time. You can't lock down the imagination and in the absence of much of a present, there's a strong pull to look back to the past or conjure a future, particularly as the actual one is now up for grabs. But cultural pursuits are about people, getting together, interacting, sharing and experiencing. Hopefully it won't be long now. My guests this time are Hull Trucks' Tom Saunders and Terry Herfield, who's a freelance costume supervisor working in film, television and theatre. We're going to hear from Tom about what's been going on at Truck in a bit, but first it's Terry. If you like your Sunday night telly, it's Terry and her colleagues who put the costume into costume drama. She makes sure the actors look as they would in Victorian London or Civil War Hull, so you can relax and get transported back to another era. But as film crew in the age of COVID, I asked Terry, how's it been? Last 12 months been for you. Um, 
been interesting. <laughs> it's been, I've, I've been pretty lucky in terms of work. Um, in that I was sort of right near the end of filming uh, a Netflix job when we locked down. So that got sort of postponed mid-show, but it meant that we got furloughed. Um, yeah. So which was, you know, beyond lucky compared to a lot of people in the arts who have no help whatsoever. Um, and so that kind of was a bit of a godsend. And to be honest, that first lockdown was quite, it was quite nice to have a break. Yeah. Um, I've been doing a lot of telly for the last few years. I've not really had a gap between jobs. I've kind of finished a job on a Friday and started a new one on a Monday, you know, and doing 14, 16 hour long days every day. It was kind yeah. of that, that first lockdown was kind of like, although, you know, horrible and I'd, I'd rather we weren't in that situation. It was kind of a relief to just be able to sit in the garden in the sunshine a little bit and, and not have to worry about anything else. Um, I did have work cancelled. I was meant to be doing theatre over the summer um, in 2020 uh, at Cast yeah. um, and then and that got cancelled, although there's a chance that that is now sort of coming back around again. Um, it was a, I don't know, a little bit sort of hairy at the very beginning, wondering you know if there was going to be any pay, if there was going to be any work, but I think once I got furloughed, it was quite, that first lockdown wasn't actually too bad. Yeah. For me personally, I know for a lot of people it was, you know, horrendous and, and there's a lot of work to be done there. But personally, it wasn't too awful. And then I went back to finish off the Irregulars for Netflix in um, in August. And I've not really been out of work since. I mean, it has an impact on the work as well, obviously. There's a lot of restrictions and things like that that kind of in the way of what we're trying to do and make everything just that little bit more difficult. I was on one of those last few days in Liverpool on that job, and I remember going back to the hotel in the evening, and there were kind of rumours, the drivers were sort of saying, oh, you know, after the weekend, and I think it was a Thursday night or something, there was an announcement that things were going to start closing down, and obviously they did. Um, so when you went back, what, what changed in order for you to be able to operate? Um, so we restricted um, numbers of people was the, the sort of the main thing, particularly like... Um, essays or extras they were limited right down to sort of minimal numbers like five or six where you know where it might have been scripted that we had like 30 or 40 people in um we made the decision to, to reduce those numbers instantly we all went into masks on set anyone who was on set and in close quarters with anybody else was tested twice a week um all those kind of things that are sort of becoming a bit the norm now that we kind of um, but at that point, that was that was a very new thing because it was way back beginning of August we went back. Personally, I because of my position, I was the crowd supervisor. I didn't end up going to set at all once we came back from the from the first lockdown. We just we separated it so that we had a small team that went to set, and the rest of the costume team stayed sort of back and did you know all the prep and all the maintenance of costumes and all that kind of thing. And obviously with a big period drama like that, there's a lot of costumes that were hired and things. And so we started the process of, of sending those back and returning everything because obviously we'd had them for much longer than originally agreed. So it was it was quite different in terms of what I would normally expect to be doing because I'd normally be on set quite a lot. I'd normally have a lot of interaction with the essays, you know, redressing people every day. And that kind of just got paired back right to a, an absolute minimum. Do you think some of those changes, uh, obviously it was a pain in the ass to, to not have that kind of contact and to be able to do the checks and everything. 
do you think there are changes that have happened that might stay that actually turn out to be sort of good things where you thought actually we can save time and money here or is it a case of let's get rid of the masks let's get back to how it was um i think there might be i think there might be elements of it that's there i think um you know the kind of the amount of people on set at any given time i think that might stay low i think certainly for a while i think there've been some things that have kind of been made a little bit more efficient um things like not needing to to sort of dress people every step of the way most people you know put clothes on kind of things so not so much on period dramas obviously but the last job that i've just finished last week was um a contemporary sort of political drama and there was so little contact with the actors for that in terms of you know we've put your costume in there you go get yourself dressed kind of thing which i think things like that might stay but i think overall i think it, there is a sort of a real need to get back to normal whatever normal is now but to get back to i don't know more of a a more sociable way of working i think yeah feels very unsociable at the minute and i think that's one of the bonuses of our job whether you're in theater or telly or film or whatever is that we're very sociable people you know we like to spend time with each other and a lot of the kind of doing things via email and via zoom and all the rest of it is is not quite the same and not quite it doesn't give you quite that same buzz of you know of the kind of people side of what we do yeah absolutely i'm sort of missing that and i think you've obviously worked on screen but also in theater and uh that kind of excitement, you know, in the wings and I know it can get a bit mad sort of sometimes, but just that feeling of putting a show on, which we haven't been able to do for a year. I think people are missing that. Yeah, really massively. Cause it's, it's such a, such a high, isn't it? Like, you know, you put a show on the audience claps and it doesn't matter how difficult it's been to get there or, or how stressful it's been whilst you're running the show, but you get to the end of it and you've got a real sense of achievement and a real sense of kind of, teamwork and you know just knowing that we did it that we got it done and it just it does feel a little bit more individual at the minute like you're sort of doing your bit of the job but there's a lot less interaction with you know the departments and things like that there's a lot of skill in our industry and one thing that you did i think back it was it last april you started making scrubs i did yeah um because you've obviously got those skills and a lot of people with those sort of skills put them into practice and yeah, just tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so, uh, so right at the very beginning of lockdown, obviously we all, you know, everyone felt a little bit lost, didn't really know what was going to happen. Um, and there was a sort of a bit of a call out within the costume community of, you know, what can we do? We've we've got skills. We're all sat at home. Most of us sat at home with a sewing machine in a cupboard somewhere. Um, can we help? And then, you know, we realised that there was you know, a call for masks, scrubs, things like, you know, scrub hats and bags for the nurses. And we just ended up sort of creating a whole sort of cottage industry, really, of um, of creating scrubs. A lot of it was done by charity work. Um, there was a, a few different sort of, there was like Scrub Hub and For the Love of Scrubs and a, a few different things that were kind of set up to sort of facilitate it. And it was, it was a massive undertaking, absolutely huge from mm. in terms of like organisation and things. I mean, per- personally, I just kind of, got my little batch of fabric every couple of weeks and sewed some scrubs and sent them back again but i know some of the people who were kind of running the whole logistics side of it and it was insane you know we had we had drivers picking fabric up in york and delivering it to right up north to kind of northumberland and and down to leicester and northampton and it was it was pretty bonkers 
people talk about the film industry and they focus on the actors and all the stuff that makes the papers and things that look good on Twitter. But in terms of logistics, a film set, I know it can be chaotic sometimes, but there's nobody in a better position to logistically put those things and that knowledge into action and get something like this done, is there? No, I mean, particularly like for, for us in costume, logistics is a huge part of what we do, especially as a supervisor, which is what my usual role is. Um, people kind of think, oh, there's a costume designer and they make everything beautiful and that's, you know, and that's it. But there's so much more that goes into it. A supervisor's role is kind of to, you know, to make sure the logistics are there, to make sure that the costumes are where they need to be on time. Because sometimes you're running three or four sets at a time, particularly if you do something like Emmerdale or whatever. They have like four whole shooting teams going at the same time and the costumes have got to go between the two. You've got to work out trucks and deliveries and you know staffing and all that kind of thing so there's a, there's a massive amount of logistics involved um and that yeah that kind of just transferred pretty swiftly into sort of doing something to help and it, it kind of it really helped actually it helped not to feel like you were just kind of twiddling your thumbs at home um much as i loved sitting in the garden and enjoying the sunshine yeah. but um but it was a different kind of you know it wasn't the really ridiculously long days we used to do a bit of scrub making, get this sent off, and then you'd wait a few days for the next batch to come back to you sort of thing. But yeah, it's really satisfying. When there was all that stuff about various professions being viable, and there were kind of people sort of saying, oh, you know, go and train in cyber, and our dancers were obviously rightly up in arms about that. I was just thinking, the skills that we've got as, a, as an industry, you know, how, how can you yeah, possibly say it's, that it's, it's not viable? It's absolutely huge. I think, honestly and truthfully, I think that's when the kind of, costume people making scrubs thing kind of really died off i think there was a lot of sort of ill feeling as in you know if the government can't provide this stuff why are we do it because we were all working for free no one was getting any money for it you know we were putting our skills out there to kind of help and then we were told we weren't viable <laughs> you know yeah. and it was like right okay not, not that everyone was sort of you know didn't want to help anymore and it, it, it wasn't that at all it was just kind of a bit of a kick in the teeth that you know, suddenly we're being told that we're actually not that useful. Yeah, it just, it, it really sort of felt like a bit of a, oh, right, okay, fine, if that's how you feel about it. You know, it was, you know, at the time I was living with a nurse, and so I was like, right, okay, you know, I kind of really want to help out and do my bit. I'm seeing you go to work every day and, you know, come home in tears, and I want to make sure I'm doing my bit, but then there's a kind of that juxtaposition between the sort of, well, hang on, why am I giving my skills for nothing when there's no appreciation for it? from on high sort of thing. Hmm. Thinking sort of broadly industry-wise, because you've worked right across it, um, there's a lot of talk about how things have to change and will change and speculation about what the changes will be. What changes do you want to see and what sort of changes do you think are going to happen? I think what I'd like to see is us being more people-focused in, you know, in actually taking care of our crew and our performers a lot more than has happened in the past. I think there's been a very sort of long running push for more money, more work, just, you know, keep going, keep going. Let's produce as much as we possibly can. And if you fall by the wayside, tough, you know, you're not strong enough. Keep, let's keep pushing everybody to their absolute limit and see what we can get out of it. And I think, I feel like that really needs to change. Like, you know, the kind of long hours, the, the working for free, the, all the kind of things that we put in that, again, like you said, people don't realise what goes on behind the scenes, you know, that, that kind of attitude that 
the most important thing is that sh the show goes on regardless of what that might do to people's mental health or people's home lives or or their actual you know the physical health whatever sort of impact that has i feel like we've got to focus more on on the people that make this industry i think what i'm seeing having gone back to work what i'm seeing is that people are a little bit stronger in standing up for right word standing up for for their kind of life outside work people are more eager to be like right it's the end of my shift i'm going home you know uh, rather than staying to work extra hours and things and there's a, a more of a pushback in terms of what the unions are able to do i don't i'm not sure if there's been an uptick in union membership during the during the whole pandemic um but it certainly feels like the union are more active and have more have a little bit more clout than they did before and i'm hoping that that will grow as we move along yeah definitely i think um it's been an opportunity for unions to step up it's at the point now where yeah they do need to and we do need to sort of stay together and say you know this is what we're not prepared to accept anymore it kind of it gave everyone a minute to sort of go actually i've got time to fill in this survey for the for the union and i've got time to have a think about you know what i enjoy about my life and the things that i don't enjoy about my work and how can i get a balance between those things i think it just that first lockdown in particular gave us a bit of breathing space to think about those things tom saunders is whole truck theater's associate director responsible for creative learning. He looks after not only the excellent youth theatre, but also Truck's activities in schools and colleges and Act 3, the company of over 55's theatre makers. There's no sadder sight in the performing arts than when a theatre goes dark. And it's been horrible going past Truck over the last few months and seeing the dusty windows and posters for shows that never were. But the theatre has been busy. So how's it been, Tom? I mean, first, I have to kind of confess to being somebody who sat in a senior management meeting at Hull Truck uh, early last March, where we discussed whether there'd be a lockdown. And I was secretly thinking, there isn't going to be a lockdown. <laughs> I was like, why is everyone being so dramatic? And I, I couldn't have been more wrong. And then I was sort of going, oh, yeah, but we'll probably still get to do this in June. And we'll probably still get to do this in September. And, you know, here we are almost a year later. And it's... um. I think it's been a mixed bag, really. I think we focus so much on the things that we missed, like missing live performance, missing having audiences in our building, missing hugging our families. But there have also been some like weird, unexpected benefits. Like, um, you know, me and my wife having this much time together has been luckily an absolute gift. Yeah. And um, which is obviously a relief to know that we can, you know, if in 40 years time we retire together, we won't murder each other in our bungalow because we know that we can kind of live together. So I think I'm happy to talk with you today about kind of, uh, what we've missed, what's been sad and what feels like we've lost, but also maybe celebrate some of the successes we've had and talk about things that have gone well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the whole thing about this podcast, I think, is is really kind of to look sort of in the present moment and the future, really. I think, you know, people have had varying experiences and, and good and bad over the last year, but, you know, what's kind of past is past. Just briefly then, what were the toughest challenges for theatres and, and for a theatre like Truck? I think the the very first challenge for us was the uncertainty in the future 
you sort of don't want to mess around audience members and mess around participants. And I think it took quite a while for the government's for clarity from government messaging, which meant that we could properly make some plans. There was the night when, you know, whole truck staff were in the office listening to a government announcement where Boris Johnson said, and I'm telling people not to go to theatres. And some of my colleagues cried. And we had some, we had a youth theatre company downstairs in the studio theatre who were teching for a youth theatre production. And so, you know, checking on colleagues, making sure they're okay, and then having to go downstairs and interrupt a tech and sit the youth theatre down and say, I'm afraid I don't think this is going to happen, everyone, was kind of a sad a sad experience, really, because I think we work really hard, but you work really hard and you do long hours and you put your heart and soul into something because there's a payoff at the end. The reward of your youth theatre or you know doing really well and being really proud of themselves, the reward of people liking your art, I think is part of the payment that we have, not as well as the financial payment. You know, it's part of the payment we receive for our work, and I think um, lots of hard work, kind of seemingly coming to nothing, I think was emotionally challenging um, and then we've tried to plan around various government roadmaps that they announced but at least in the previous year there's been very few plans that have lasted more than 24 hours mm. um, and so I think we've become a slightly more um, cautious organisation at that time and also trying to not get our hopes up and trying to make sure that we can communicate as clearly as possible with our stakeholders yeah, I think that, that was hard. And I think also I know that, you know, talking to colleagues who've been on furlough for a long period of time, you know, I was furloughed for a bit as well. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's really, um, I think that's really tricky for people's well-being. And I've, I've heard some people being a bit snidey and saying, oh, what, pay to sit and do nothing. But, you know, that's not who we are in the theatre. We're not people who we don't want to be paid to sit and do nothing. Theatre people are people of action. And I think losing that is for people has been really hard. Yeah. I mean, the whole sort of raison d'etre really is, is people in the same sort of confined space, people on stage, people backstage and people in the auditorium, you know, looking at what you've made. And when this sort of dust settled and when you sort of uh, shook yourself down a little bit, what did you resolve to do as a as an organisation? You know, I think our primary focus was survival. You know, what strategies can we put in place to make sure that Whole Truck Theatre is, is here for the future? Um, and then as, on top of that, what can we do for our community in that time, whether that's theatre makers and whether that's audiences or whether that's the young people and communities that we work with on a weekly, daily basis? Um, you know, we're very lucky. We've got strong leadership at Whole Truck Theatre. So we've and we're weathering the storm. You know, things aren't perfect and we, we will rely on our audiences to come back and to back us when the time is right. But once we knew where we were, we resolved to be creative. So we created a scheme called Whole Truck at Home, which was just made up of loads of bits. We had this tagline, creativity can't be closed. You know, this idea that, yeah, you can close a theatre building, but theatre isn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Just to give you a flavour of some of the stuff that was in that, I did um, 15 days of playwriting activities um, so that people could, you know, write a little bit of drama every day and kind of develop their writing skills. In fact, rather delighted about that, Pit Lockery Festival Theatre in Scotland um, really liked them and ended up um, sharing them as well. So strangely, there's these like hull-based writing activities being used in like rural Scotland, right. <laughs> um, which is brilliant. Um, so then on top of that, we did um, a thing called 10 Minutes of Kindness, which was a writing competition for um, non-professional writers. Uh, we received so many and read lots of really buoyant plays set in lockdown. And we chose two of them and we filmed them with actors and we put them out there and they were lovely. And then we also we did, um, in fact, you were part of one of them, weren't you? You were I part was. of um, the Meanwhile Festival, which was this idea that, you know, in the meantime, when we can't all be together, 
what can we do? And I was, we chose a quite an interesting selection of artists to do very different things. And it was great because it was definitely um, lo-fi, but we you know, created five pieces of art that I thought was really interesting and I was really proud of, including your wonderful piece. Thank you. Um, which is still on, uh, I hasten to add, it's still on our website. If you go to Hull Truck at Home and go to the Meanwhile Festival, you can still see all five of those pieces, including your lovely one. Yeah. Um, and then... I suppose on top of that, we also managed to screen some of our productions so that people could watch them at home. So we did um, Jack Lear, which was um, a production we did starring Barry Rutter. We did The Hired Man, which was a co-production that we had. And then at Christmas, amazingly, we were able to stream um, a piece of theatre called Prince Charming's Christmas Cracker that Mark Babich, artistic director, wrote and directed. And with the support of um, Hull City Council and East Riding Council, that was free to anyone in the region, which I just think was an absolute... I think what an amazing gift after an absolutely shocking year. Please come and watch some fun theatre with us online and remember that you miss it like we do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that was really impressive. And what I noticed with with Truck and with other theatres as well was how sort of quickly they, almost from a standing start, learned how to use this quite advanced tech to live stream. I mean, you know, theatres have been live streaming for, for a while now, but it's quite an expensive thing. And especially when you're pushed for budget, and and the skills really. What sort of challenge has it been to get hold of the tech, learn how to use it, and make it look good, and make it a really sort of theatrical experience for for viewers? Well, I think you've just summed up theatre people in a nutshell, really. Because I think you know I said about us being doers. I just think that like you know if if I cast you Matt in a play about um, Russian expressionistic dance. Like, you know, I, I don't even know if that's a thing, by the way. I've just said some random words together. It is now. You and I have just created something. Well, I, I'm confident that after a four-week rehearsal period together, you and I would know a lot about Russian expressionistic dance. Mm. And I think that's what theatre people are really good at. They just, they can kind of throw themselves into it headlong. So I think it differs. So for the case of Jack Lear, for example, that that already existed because we'd live streamed it previously into care homes, uh, into, into nursing homes, actually, sorry you know, to entertain people who couldn't come out to the theatre. So the, the video existed and then it was about um, contacting people who'd done it before and drawing on the experience we already had in order to do it. But what I would say is, is we are, we are still learning how best to do that. And we, you know, we've had some in the last couple of months, we've had some very robust conversations about it in terms of if we do that, is it more or less accessible? If we put it on this platform, how will it work better? Will it work better or worse? We could pay for this bit of software, but it would mean this and this and this. And I think that's maybe the great thing about whole truck staff is that we haven't really got any of those people who are um don't know how to describe it do you know people who are a bit like oh that's not what we do yeah that's not how we do it we just don't have that we've got a workforce of people who are just like oh that sounds exciting <laughs> let's try that that's great i mean do you think that having experienced it and used it do you think theater in general might embrace it going forward and um and say Let, let's use this sort of in parallel with our kind of live output yeah i hope so i mean you'd hope wouldn't you that when you add a new skill to your arsenal, you can figure out how to use it well. I mean, I love watching theatre and I've watched some brilliant stuff over the course of lockdown, you know, like National Theatre Live stuff. And um, I've just, just missed out on some tickets, actually, to something which was live streamed. And I don't fully understand <laughs> how it sold out. I don't understand how that works. Yeah. Um, but I think that when the dust settles and when we can resume... I don't want to say service is normal because I don't think anyone wants service as normal. I think they want something better. But I think once we can do live performance again, then there will be time for that conversation. So, for example, um, 
you know, we've done a few streams now into hospitals and into care homes. And it's something which has meant a lot to us as an organisation, you know, getting to share a Christmas production with um, you know, children in the children's ward at um, Hull Royal or you know, having, a, I know that one of our colleagues, for example, a, a nan's in a, in a care home and knowing that a nan's got to watch her, the piece that she works on has been a really lovely thing for them, like a kind of shared experience, almost like they went together. And I think that's something that we are really keen to continue. And if, if it's something that we can do in-house with our existing skills and therefore not have to spend an astronomical amount on it, then I think that's um, something we'll do more and more of, but not at the expense of live theatre, because ultimately that's what it's all about. It's great to watch a play that you couldn't get to, you know, get to see something that was in London that you couldn't get down to or a show that you missed or whatever. That's really useful. But I just think there is nothing like being in the room together, laughing together, crying together, getting drunk afterwards together. Yeah, exactly. I think that is the question. It was kind of the question before with NT Live. A lot of people are saying, you know, is this going to sort of kill in-person theatre apart from people who can afford tickets and stuff? Are we going to see people basically like a sort of Netflix theatre culture? Um, and that is absolutely the question now, um, getting that balance right. And I've seen stuff that you've hosted at Truck in, in the studio that have been NT Live sort of broadcasts that I've actually seen in person as well. There's been a couple of shows that I actually saw. And it was interesting comparing those two experiences. There were things that I sort of missed, you know. Um, a big example is Hamilton. A lot of people have seen Hamilton who saw it either on Broadway or, or in London who had a different experience, but they, they got benefit from seeing that Disney Plus production and they sort of saw different angles and things like that. But... Yeah, it's it's not the same. It's not the same as getting a ticket and the excitement of kind of waiting for the curtain to go up or whatever. Yeah, and for me as well, I don't know what this says about theatre, but something I love about theatre is like the talk on the drive home. And, I, you know, and like a random example, I'm not going to say what it is, but like I saw a piece of theatre before lockdown that I just absolutely hated. Like I, I just, I, there was nothing about it I liked. And, and then me and my mate had to drive home from Leeds and actually, um, it was so, it was thrilling unpicking what was wrong <laughs> with it, you know? Yeah. And I think that maybe like, you know, when you finish watching a play live, you know, on your TV or on your laptop, I don't know, I think you just put the next episode of Shit's Creek on, don't you? Yeah. And I, and I don't think necessarily you have the opportunity for the same debate. Just to kind of, just something you made me think about is, I think also when we look at the NT Live and the RSC Live stuff, which is absolutely brilliant, we're still talking there about like the blockbuster plays aren't we you know we're talking about oh, i really want to see that because tom hiddleston or benedict cumberbund is in it you know or whatever yeah. like <laughs> and and i think that um i think that perhaps still like there will be work on hull truck stages that is for the city of hull mm. and so there's not really much point streaming that unless it's an accessibility issue for people in our community mm -hmm. when if, you know if those people can come and see it live that's a better thing because it's it, it might not necessarily appeal to like um i don't know some theater fans in chichester so I think with that NT Live stuff, I think it just means that the National Theatre gets to be what it claims to be, which is a national theatre. Yeah. You know, and I think whereas the whole truck theatre, we, we, we are national in outlook, but I think we're all, you know, primarily we are a local community theatre. That's what drives us. Yeah. You've talked a little bit about whole truck at home and you seem to have really sort of hit your stride now with the whole truck at home school, the content that you've made for young people at home who are obviously not able to go to school, and also the the soap, which is a really interesting idea uh, called Consequences. Can we talk a bit about that? It's been such an amazing piece of work, and everyone at whole truck has been just amazing getting it together. But also, I'm really looking forward to lying in the fetal position in March because uh, um, it's been so much work. We thought um, we were going to be open now. You know, the initial government roadmap suggested that we would be doing um, our first kind of tester performances to kind of 
lull audiences back into the theatre. And um, which is, by the way, just as a quick throwaway point, like, it feels ridiculous now. But honestly, we genuinely thought it, Matt. <laughs> like, we, like it, it felt like it was going to happen. Yeah. And um, so when we found out after Christmas, oh, this isn't going to happen, we were like, well, what can we do? And we, you know, we've got, we, you know, we're really lucky. We're fortunate. We got the cultural recovery fund money, uh, but that money had to be spent. And so we decided to repurpose it. And we were like, we, we asked ourselves the question, how can we be, how can we be most useful right now for our community? And the answer was children, young people, parents and teachers are having a hard time. I'm, I'm sure I'm preaching to the converted saying how amazing teachers are, but you know, they've had to rewrite their, their whole methodology and way of working overnight, like seven times in the mm. last 11 months. So anything that we can do that would be useful, it just felt like the right approach. So I, I, if I'll tell you about the four things that we've done this month, um, some of the um, donations that we got from Prince Charming's Christmas Cracker, we've utilised to make our youth theatre free for this entire term because we just know that you know, budgets are tight and that with parents on furlough or people losing their jobs, um, the last thing you want is someone worrying about how they're going to make sure their child gets to participate in the youth theatre they love. So we've kept youth theatre online. We've made it entirely free for this term for everyone who's taking part. We are doing a project with Act 3, who are over 55s group, uh, throughout March, which is going to involve them doing adult bedtime stories. And I, I cannot stress this enough, Matt, I'm saying adult, not adult. <laughs> like, you know, although actually, if you've met Act 3, there's a strong chance some of them will be adult. Um, and that's our retired theatre makers group who are going to probably do these stories in March. And then it came to the stuff we were going to do as, as part of Whole Truck at Homeschool. So we spoke to some primary school teachers and we were like, what, what is useful? What, what can we do? And it seemed that um, whilst we've gone online and we're doing stuff over Zoom or over Teams or over Google Meets, lots of primary schools, they're just not there yet or, or it just hasn't felt appropriate based on the people they're working with or they haven't quite figured out how to do it in a way that is, um, is safe or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so it felt like the stuff that we would normally do person to person online wasn't quite right. So we devised this scheme of work called Create and Play, which are a series of 16 YouTube lessons so there are um, eight lessons for key stage one. So we're talking that's um, the, like the bottom half of primary school. And we worked with a specialist on um, early years to create these. They're like they're simple stories like um, the gingerbread man, Hansel and Gretel, etc. And we've built into them moments of participation. So, you know, we tell the story of how um, Hansel and Gretel and their family are starving because there's no food in the woods. And we ask the young people to stop the video for a minute and draw it. And then when Jack meets the giant, we encourage the young people to become the giant and, and speak along with the presenter. Um, so we, we're doing eight of them and they've come out two a week, every week in February. So the last one, you know, at the time of recording, the last one will come out tomorrow, which is the last Thursday of February. And then the key stage one, which is the top half of primary school, we've done lessons, like drama lessons. So with guest actors and guest performers. So for example, um, the amazing Joey, who's an actor, Joey Holden, who was in our production of Prince Charming's Christmas Cracker and in our production of Peter Pan is like an extremely talented, gifted clown. So we asked her to um, to join Luke, our creative learning officer, on a lesson about comedy. And we had another person join on facial expressions in mime, another person joined for poetry and, and so on and so forth. We even got um, Sean, our head of wardrobe, to do one on costume that's gone down an absolute storm. People were like, ooh, I'd like to try that. You know, it's not something that necessarily people get a chance to have a go at. And the idea for them is, is if you're a parent, you can just bung them on YouTube and that's that's 20 to 25 minutes kind of occupied 
which is a good use of time. Mm. And we've shared it with schools. We've had a few correspondence off school teachers who are saying that they're sending them out once a week to their class. And hope, you know, hopefully that will continue. And, and also we've done paper versions of all those sessions. So if anyone was... Um, didn't have a strong connection to the internet or didn't have like good devices. And we've committed to any individual who emails us and says, can you please send us the paper versions? We'll print them and post them to them. That sounds absolutely brilliant. And and that, I guess that content will just be there now, like a lot, obviously things on YouTube to, to, to kind of revisit and um, for kids coming up in years to come. And consequences, the, the soap that has been written and devised, I think by your young at youth theatre, is that right? No, it's been a, it's a schools project actually. So right. it's um, so the idea was there's a do you know the game consequences where you write a bit of the story and you fold the paper over? Yeah. Well, it's basically a, a playwriting version of that. So and, and and I think I chose a soap opera because you know if we're filming it on Zoom, it's not a play. You know, it's not live. So it was I it was I was stuck between a soap opera or a sitcom, and I felt like a soap opera people would know what it what it was um so we've recruited some schools and what all those all those classes have had um well they've had a mixture of sessions but basically we've done an introduction to dramatic writing workshop with them and then that's led on to them working with the playwright to develop the next scene so on a random week we would work with one school on a monday and develop scene one with it with, with actors and the writer present and then and also what's great is is the first half of the session the lesson so for example i did a bit on you know, objective and obstacle, like which I think is the most important principle of dramatic writing. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we, you know, we did a session on that and then the children got to write their own like six to eight line scenes and post them in the chat bar on Microsoft Teams. And then we've got actors, professional actors on the Teams call with them who can perform their work there and then straight back to them. Um, I've been working with brilliant writers, um, Lydia Marchant and Maureen Lennon. Yeah. And what we've been doing is, is the week before we sketch out a loose idea of who might be needed for which session and what what the arc of the week might be, knowing that we will change our minds if if a better thing comes up. And every week, a better thing has come up. And then we do the sessions Monday to Wednesday. So we did the very final session this morning. And then by Wednesday night, uh, it's Maureen or Lydia's job to submit a final draft to me. Um, and then we rehearse it and record it on a Thursday, get it edited and captioned overnight on Thursday. And then we release it at five o'clock on a Friday. So the season finale, as I'm calling it, is coming out this week. And um, I think from my point of view, A, it's been a really amazing opportunity for me to reach out to some schools and to work with some teachers I didn't know, which mm-hmm. has been great. Um, but also, um, if you want to feel positive, just work with young people for a bit because they just give and give and give. We've, um, and you know, we did a whole session on subtext and what makes like sub good, I believe that quality playwriting has subtext um and um so we did a session on subtext so we had a scene this week where um which is coming out on friday where a dad has to tell his children that he's been struggling with his mental health and he has to find the words so i said you know how could he say this in a way which has like subtext i.e isn't just like the most obvious way of saying it and i I i think it was a girl wrote this line that was like listen i've been i've been um i've been struggling a bit with everything so i've um I've gone to doctors to see if they can like do anything about it. And you just think that's a brilliant line. Like that, I, you know, when he says that line, we know exactly what he's talking about. We know exactly what he means, mm-hmm. but he's not just said, Oh, I've gone to my doctor and he has diagnosed me with, which means, you know, it, so I think that we've, we've managed to really champion their voices and we've just had a laugh doing it as well. Fantastic. Um, obviously there's huge anticipation about when people can actually get through the doors of truck. I mean, I've not seen any big announcements, but are you still kind of planning the reopening in terms of your sort of main live output? 
the landscape's shifting so rapidly. And I think, I don't know about you, but I, you know, this week, um, Boris Johnson announced the roadmap to reopening. And it's been really hard to not feel incredibly excited about that and to feel, you know, so we're cautiously planning ahead with our partners and with um, the productions we've got on the slate. So I think the three things to maybe tell you about are um, we've got a series of events or a program which we've designed to try and get people um, used to the idea of coming back to the theatre, you know, raising audience confidence. The idea is that once they've been to us, they'll know that it's safe. We'll know that you know their well-being is a, a top priority and they'll remember how great it is being in a live space. So that's the current plan is how do we reopen What's that going to be like looking ahead towards the end of the year? Um, I think our next thing is we've managed to maintain a lot of our community work during this period. For example, we did a project just before Christmas with Holden MS Society, who are just brilliant people, and did a whole project about kind of creating storytelling with them that was lovely. But, you know, a big bit of our community engagement work is about in-person work. It's about going out to people's communities and meeting them, talking to them, you know, listening to barriers they have to accessing the arts or attending the theatre and trying to remove those barriers or work around them. And that just hasn't been able to happen in this time. So we're keen to kind of um, reignite that work and relaunch it and get cracking again. Um, and then I suppose the final thing to say is, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but um, Hull Truck will be celebrating its 50th anniversary in 2022. Yes. So, so planning to uh, do that of a bang in some way so that um, we can celebrate this, you know, the survival of um, 50 years of, uh, you know, a shifting and I think interesting and exciting local theatre company. Big thanks to my guests, uh, Tom Saunders and Terry Herfield. Uh, and that's it for, for the third instalment, part three of How's It Been? Got one more week to go. Uh, I'm going to be speaking to another couple of guests next week, including Jed Salisbury, who a lot of you will know. He's a fantastic comedian. And um, yeah, we'll hear how Jed's year has been. Um, so that's it. Thanks again for tuning in. Well, downloading, you know what I mean? And... Um, Hopefully see you again for part four. Take care.